Welcome to the Ignite Your Teaching video podcast, a show to inspire teachers to level up how they teach using simple systems and time-saving tools for their classrooms. I'm your host, Patty Firth, mom of three, wife, and a teacher who has spent the last 10 years transforming my love of teaching into helping other teachers learn how to fit it all together through innovative resources and solutions for elementary classrooms over at madlylearning.com. So, are you ready to ignite your teaching? When somebody asks you, are you differentiating for your students? Do you know that there are four different ways that you can differentiate for your student groupings each and every day that are pretty simple? In fact, I bet you you're already doing a lot of these things and you just aren't classifying them as differentiating. So let's dig into the four different types of differentiation and what it actually looks like in the classroom. Welcome to the Ignite Your Teaching video podcast, where we help elementary teachers to make good teaching easy again. I'm your host, Patty Firth, mom of three, wife, and experienced classroom teacher who's made it my mission to help other teachers establish efficient routines, find effective solutions, and deliver engaging lessons over at madlylearning.com. So are you ready to ignite your teaching? So the four different types of differentiation are differentiating the content, the process, the product, and the environment. These categories of differentiation look different in our classrooms, and it's a way to meet a variety of student needs, and it makes our lessons tailored to individual students. Now, that doesn't mean that absolutely everything that we do in every minute of every day has the same level of differentiation. We're not looking for a minute-by-minute differentiation, but we're looking for a whole week's picture. What are we doing in that week that is evidence of us differentiating the learning? One of the key indicators that you should do more differentiation in your class is if you feel like you're doing the same type of lesson day in and day out. Another indication is whether or not every student in your class is expected to do the exact same thing in the exact same way over and over. Now there is going to be elements in your week where yes, you will have all of your students doing the same task. But when we look at our whole week collectively, is that happening every minute of every single day? Or are there opportunities where you do a lesson one way, but then the next time you do a lesson, you try it a different way? So let's dig into the four different types of differentiation. So first is going to be differentiating the content. Now this is the what of what we are teaching. We can use a variety of different teaching strategies and we can differentiate the thing that we are teaching. Now, this necessarily isn't happening all of the time in a whole group lesson, but it is happening often in our small group instruction. It is very easy to differentiate the content of what we are teaching by using small group learning opportunities, such as in math, using guided math, or in language using guided learning sessions for reading and writing. In these guided sessions, you are tailoring the lesson that you are providing for the group of students that you are presenting to, which means that you will have some lessons are going to review some previously learned concepts. They're going to do some backtracking for students who might need content that was taught in previous grades to fill some gaps. And you'll also have different variety of lessons for those students who are working competently at grade level and need to take it, bump it up and take it to the next level. So if you're using small group instruction and you are using a variety of lessons 
within that small group learning to meet the needs of individual groups of students, then that is differentiating your content. You can also, in your whole group lessons, differentiate the content of your learning by choosing activities that have an open-ended model. This is very easily done by using in math class by using open-ended math that allows for multiple entry points for students to approach the learning task. This is where you're presenting students with a problem and students have a variety of options in which they can solve. So if you're doing a division question and you present students with a division question, multiple entry points would mean that some students could approach that division question by using what they already know, repeated subtraction, a number line, changing what they know and using simpler forms and to solve that problem versus you have other students who may be more advanced that could use more advanced systems and processes in which to solve that problem and look at it a little bit differently. When you are allowing that to happen and encouraging that to happen in the class and allowing multiple entry points and not just valuing one way to solve it over another, but you're accepting of all of the different ways that students can express their understanding of how to do a division problem, you are allowing differentiation to happen in your classroom and you are differentiating the content of what you are doing. The second type of differentiation is to differentiate the process. Now, when we differentiate the process, we're talking about the how of learning. This is the process that students are following in our classrooms that allow them to learn the content that's being that's being taught. So this is what they are doing. So we're not necessarily here talking about the lesson. That's often in the content where we are doing a lot of the leading, but we are talking about the process in which students are learning. We want to provide students with different ways in which they can learn materials. So if the only way that we are presenting information to our students is if they are reading an article and answering comprehension questions, and we're doing that over and over, and it's the same type of learning that's happening each and every day, then those students who learn with that strategy will do well. But students who need to experience it, who need to have a discussion about it, who need to have some artistic involvement in their work, some people that need to just have a variety of hands-on experiences. If all you're doing is one type of learning, then it's really difficult to differentiate the process. It's also difficult to teach and have students who maybe don't learn the best that method are going to struggle with those concepts. So we're unfairly disadvantaging students who maybe don't learn just that way. Now, we're not necessarily talking specifically about learning styles and the understanding that you only learn one way or you only learn another way. We're talking about multiple inputs here where we want to have students to experience the same kind of concepts in multiple ways. When we're teaching math, we want to model for our students. We want to have them do stuff with pencil and paper, but we also want to do manipulatives. We also want to show them how to solve with manipulatives. We want to show them multiple strategies that can be used. And understanding that some students will use, say, short division, other students will use long division, some will use the big seven. All of those are efficient strategies for solving a division question without using a calculator, but there are multiple ways. And recognizing that there's not just one way to solve a problem, and there are multiple ways that are efficient strategies that can be used to solve, say, division problems, 
and recognizing that we're going to teach them those different ways. We're going to show them how to do it so that they can have a different process in which to still find success. The same can be said with science. If all we're doing in our science classrooms is reading an article or watching a movie about science, and they're not always experiencing it as well, are we giving our students a well-rounded experience to learn those science concepts? For a lot of students, they can read it and understand it, but still not get it. They could watch it on a video. That might be another way that they can input that information into their brains but they also sometimes need to experience it. One of these is erosion. I find erosion is a concept that students need to experience and read about and watch. They need to learn about it theoretically. They need to learn about just the vocabulary and what it means, but they also need to see it in real life, which is where a movie comes in. But it's also important for them to actually experience it and understand, well, how would you actually hold back that sand? So having those big trays in front of you and some sand and water and pouring it and watching the sand erode in the tray and having them come up with understanding why we need to push back that soil is a great one. Another one I really like for science is learning how the heart works. That's a difficult concept for students in grade five when they're learning about the human body. So yes, we can read about all of the chambers of the heart. We can label the diagram. We can watch a video, but we can also have students be blood cells and jump through hula hoops to experience how the heart pumps blood cells through the four chambers of the heart into the lungs and how it goes through the body, picks up oxygen and drops it off into the muscles and picks up carbon dioxide and drops it back off into the lungs. Having students not just read about it, but also physically jumping through hula hoops as little red blood cells is a great way to differentiate the process of how we're getting information into our students. So when we're designing our lessons and when we're thinking about how we are going to teach different concepts, we want to be thinking about the process and that we have multiple types of processes to teach the same concepts that students can experience so that there's multiple ways that they can learn that concept. Now, the third way that we can differentiate is product. Now, this is the what they do to show their learning, often in an assessment. So many of us rely on tests in and quizzes and pencil and paper tasks to quickly mark and give a grade for students. But there's lots of different ways that students can show their learning and can show what they know, and it allows us to differentiate. For a final task, when we focus on skills and what skills students are supposed to demonstrate. So if we focus on rubrics that are created based on skills, so instead of focusing on, say, a task and the criteria that each task must have, so you must have a poster and it has to have a title and a picture and it has to have information. Instead of focusing on the criteria checklist that a task would have, let's focus on the content and the skills that we want students to demonstrate. In order to do this, we can go straight back to the curriculum and look at the expectations that we're expected to teach from. We take those and say, I need there to be evidence of this learning, of this learning objective, of this skill. When we go back and focus on assessment of skills and knowledge and not 
assessment of task completion, then we are allowing us to open up and broaden the types of assignments our students can pick from. We can use a choice board of assessments so that students can demonstrate their knowledge and understanding, but using a wider variety of learning. Now, this is exactly why I created my choice boards of assessment, my mini project task choice board. These are nine different options that students can choose from to demonstrate their understanding and learning of a specific set of skills. So there are nine different options that a student can choose from in order to demonstrate their knowledge and skills. They could make a jersey, make a poster, write a song, do a script, do an interview. There's lots of a wide variety of ways in which students can demonstrate their understanding and knowledge and skills, but they're not necessarily looking for specific tasks. So when you're creating that rubric, you're looking for what knowledge and skills are being demonstrated. You don't need a separate rubric for each one of the nine activities because you're not assessing the task, you're assessing the knowledge that's being demonstrated by the task. Now, the last way that we can differentiate is by differentiating the environment. Now, we are all in a classroom, so we are not going to go learn in a forest and learn on a beach or learn in a vacuum. We are really looking at how we can change up the environment that's within our control in our classroom to allow our students different conditions in which they're learning. One of the simplest ways to do this is by using flexible seating when students are completing independent work. Recognizing that some students work really well sitting at a desk, other students work really well lying on the floor, some students work really well sitting in the cave that is created underneath your own desk. We have to look at the different types of ways in which our students can learn. What are some of the distractions that get in their way? For many students, sitting at a desk or a group of desks is highly distracting because there's a lot of visual stimulation around them. For those students, they may, be benef they may benefit from sitting underneath a table or sitting underneath a desk or sitting in a corner or turning around and facing them or even being lower than other students so there is less visual distraction. They may benefit from putting their hood up and putting a hat on so that their peripheral vision is restricted so that they can focus on what it is they're doing. Perhaps those students need that trifold privacy board that we can put around their desk so they feel as though they are working in an isolated environment so they are not so visually distracted by what's happening around them. Now, not every student requires that, but some students do. And providing an environmental differentiation of a trifold board or alternate seating arrangements for those students is great. We can also recognize that sometimes students are distracted by sound. Some students will require silence to work, while other students require lots of noise. A great way to get around this is by allowing some students to listen to music, some students can listen to white noise, and other students can just have the regular room volume that is around them. For some students, it doesn't bother them to work in a classroom with other people talking. For others, just being able to hear you talk during your guided reading session is going to be really distracting for other students allowing noise-canceling headphones, headphones that play white noise, brown noise inside the headphones. I've had some students that really just want to listen to a loud coffee shop background noise, 
And I will often play music, classical music playing in the classroom as a way to just sort of calm down the overall environment so that there is something else to listen to other than the murmuring of voices that is happening in the classroom. For many of our students, listening to a completely silent classroom is more distracting than listening to a bit of a noisy classroom. So when we recognize and help our students to discover what are the types of distractions that you are most likely to encounter in a classroom? How do we overcome those? What can we be listening to? What can we remove? What can we add? What can we take away? Recognizing that all of their brains work a little bit differently and allowing different conditions that are helpful, not just for some students, but for all students is beneficial and allows you to differentiate the environment in which students are being asked to learn. So hopefully that gives you a few ideas of how you can differentiate differently in your classroom to provide a wide variety of learning experiences for your students. Remember, you are not differentiating every single thing in all four categories every single minute of the day. We're looking collectively for overall for a longer period of time, how are we using a variety of different ways? Maybe one day we're using a read and respond worksheet, but the next day we're doing a physical experiment in our science class. Sometimes we're doing group work. Sometimes we're working independently. Sometimes you have small groups. Sometimes you have whole group. It's about using a wide variety of options in our classrooms so that all students at some point in the learning cycle have an opportunity to learn in ways that make sense to them.